today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, talking about results, not technology. No one really likes to talk about technology at the cabinet level, right? But they all know how important it is and how one thing can affect another. So oftentimes we're talking about the value that we're going to bring to Vermonters. Getting ready for whatever happens with CISA Cyber Grants. Uh, I think we're going to be in a, in a pretty decent place when, when the final guidance comes out. You've got to take more of a proactive approach to it. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst, but we'll see when the, the guidance actually comes out. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world, as well as the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. Virginia is moving to end the widespread telework that began during the pandemic. In a new executive order, Governor Glenn Youngkin orders all staff back to the office by July 5th. The order provides an exception program for staff with qualifying health conditions. That exception program will only apply on an individual basis. Officials in Illinois' largest county say a $25 million project equipping more than 21,000 phone lines with VoIP is now complete. The project in Cook County took more than five years and replaces a contract that dates back to the 1970s. Cost savings from the project will quickly pay for the effort, the county CIO Tom Lynch says. A data breach of an education vendor in New York City's public schools has spread across the rest of the state. Impacts from the breach of Illuminate Education have been reported at more than 20 K-12 districts and 17 charter schools. New York State and New York City officials have launched an investigation. You can read these stories and more at statescoop.com. You'll also find links in today's show notes. Major technology upgrades are coming to Vermont, State CIO John Quinn says. The legislature in the state has okayed more than $140 million in total modernization funds over the past two years. On the top of the priority list for Quinn is the modernization of the state's DMV, unemployment insurance systems, and enterprise resource planning efforts. Quinn explains how he's gearing up to use that funding. Yeah, so the legislative season is really a biennium over two years. The legislature over the past two years has given us over $140 million um, in, in money to modernize state government. Um, if there's one thing that we learned out of um, the COVID-19 pandemic was the need for digital services. And that really reinforced our approach to offering services to Vermonters, no matter where they are and what they're doing at the time, making it easier for them. So we took on three big initiatives under that funding. DMV modernization, UI modernization, and ERP, or Enterprise Resource Planning to give us a better view of what our employees are doing and our financials to be able to use that uh, data to make better decisions. So let's talk about the DMV modernization. It's something you talked about uh, at an event a couple weeks ago. Uh, what goes into that? I mean, obviously the DMV is, is kind of the common pain point that people talk about, right? It is. So what is, uh, what are, what is your approach? What are, what are you all working on there? Right, so I, I'm looking at it, I'm stepping back and looking at it from the enterprise, right? because there's so many things that are involved with the DMV modernization outside of the DMV. What does our digital identity look like for the citizen? What, is our, what are our integration platforms that we're gonna use? How are we going to make sure that whatever we build can be, can be uh, repeated in the future and uh, creates us less overhead going forward? So with the uh, motor vehicles modernization, we're specifically looking at a Uh, all-in-one solution, trying to partner with someone that can offer 
uh, not only vehicle services, but driver services and integrate into the other platforms that we use across the enterprise to give us that better 360 view of the citizen to help them. So let's talk about the all-in-one choice because I think that's an interesting one uh, in an era, especially where you see states sort of breaking things up into smaller chunks. Uh, why the all-in-one approach? Why now? How does it sort of fit into that modernization plan? Right. Well, you know, in this space specifically, uh, we are contracting with Fast. Um, they have a 100% success rate. They, you know, they bring employees into the state that live and work in our community. Uh, they move here. They're a part of our team. Their, their investment in Vermont is as big as ours in their company. Um, and we've rolled uh, fast out in our uh, Department of Taxes, as well as a, a smaller module in the Department of Motor Vehicles. And we've been successful. They're well liked. And we know that we can be successful in that model with them. So we feel comfortable in this approach because we have a great partner. So you talked about uh, UI modernization, ERP modernization, two more traditional, I mean, I guess maybe not UI, but two a little bit more traditional in the IT house. Um, you know, when you you were the first CIO, or you're the first CIO to lead the agency for digital services, yep. uh, what does that sort of that cabinet level approach enable you to do for something like a DMV modernization to work agency head to agency head to get that done? Well, you know, one of the unique things about Vermont, and we hear, we hear a lot through our NGA partners and NACIO, uh, in Vermont, the governor holds a weekly cabinet meeting. All cabinet members are there weekly, where we have time to discuss um, different approaches, different operating environments, um, and really you know, work as a team. The governor is extremely big on building teams and, and making sure we're there to solve each other's problems. So no one really likes to talk about technology at the cabinet level, right? But they all know how important it is and how how one thing can affect another. So oftentimes we're talking about the value that we're gonna to bring to Vermonters. Um, and when we talk about the DMV, I can say, Secretary so-and-so, this is how it's gonna to relate to your agency down the road. And here's the value to you. And Secretary so-and-so, here's where it's gonna integrate with your systems and here's how we're going to do that. So let's talk about UI for a second, right? One of the biggest probably headline during the pandemic of, of crisis, uh, one of the biggest things that went wrong in pretty much every state with a few exceptions. Yep. Uh, what's your approach there? I mean, how, how, uh, how much is going to go into this modernization effort? Right. So uh, there is an RFP on the street for phase one right now, which is really the front end of the system, bringing immediate value to Vermonters uh, that are doing business or trying to uh, uh, get services through uh, the Department of Labor. And that's really to help things like where am I in the process, right? I submitted my paperwork. Why haven't I heard anything? It's been eight weeks. That was one of the primary complaints that we heard through the pandemic. So we're, we're looking at phase one being a short-term uh, phase that will bring immediate relief to at least knowing where you are in the process of submitting a claim. Phase two will be the much bigger backend that replaces the mainframe and really goes through all the different modules, adjudication and all of those all of the different modules that make up a UI system. So uh, phase one, media, you know, short term solution to, to bring, you know, Vermonter some relief and understand where they are. And then phase two, probably a three year effort to modernize and get us off the mainframe. And then, you know, lastly, when we talk about ERP, right, it's, it's definitely not the sexiest or flashiest topic, yeah. but it's so essential to so many mechanisms of government. How are you going into an ERP modernization in 2022? Well, you know, 
ERP was one of the first things that I pointed out that you know really needed a, a, a strong look at and what it meant to the enterprise. As someone who's been in government for over 20 years and, and worked in many of these agencies, I knew who had their own ERP systems of their own and what it cost them. One of the value, um, part of the value of the centralized agency is, you know, all those contracts run through us now. So we know, you know, at transportation, this is the system they use and this is what they pay for it. At labor, this is the system they use and this is what they pay for it. At HR, here are the different modules that really don't talk to each other. And, you know, this, you know, here are the costs of them. So we went through a deep analysis of what a new SaaS modern solution would cost compared to what we're spending now. And we believe conservatively we can we can save up to $30 million over 10 years. So, I mean, that's real savings for a small state like Vermont. Wow. And then, you know, lastly, uh, it's not just funding from your legislature. We have ARPA funding, infrastructure funding coming down the, the pike for you. So when you're looking at all of these different um, now awakened sources of money that maybe weren't there a couple of years ago, yep. uh, in addition to these projects, I mean, what are some of the things on your hit list? What are you trying to get done with some of these fundings? Yeah, so getting back to the foundational state of identity, integration layers, um, common common frameworks for case management, common frameworks for constituencies and businesses. You know, one of the projects that we have going on right now is a one-stop portal for businesses. The other side of the equation is the citizen, right? Or the resident of Vermont. And how do we tackle that to give us a 360 view of the, the citizen and, and be able to offer service to them faster with a no wrong door approach to ensure that they know how to get in and get, uh, get the services that, that, that they need from Vermont. So you've been in government over 20 years. Yeah. Uh, what is your biggest surprise when you look at that time that we're actually doing something now? What's the most surprising to you? And what's your biggest disappointment? Yeah, so so for me, um, it we've really flipped the way we procure things right onto its head. We choose the technology before we do a procurement now, which is, which is a lot different, you know? So if you go out to our website, go to the bottom, it says ADS ecosystem. We've laid out which technologies we're gonna use, which platforms ahead of time. So across the enterprise, there's no, there's no discussion on this vendor versus that vendor uh, from a technology standpoint. Every dollar is competitively bid through SIs and licensing and all of that, but we have a solid foundation of which technologies we're using and how they work together. Big achievement, um, uh, you know, through, through, through my lens and knowing um, five years down the road in our five-year roadmaps, which technologies we're going to use, use it lays out it lays out a long-term strategy not only for IT but for the business and to be able to help them further plan down the road what their what their funding is going to need to be in order to use the systems. And what's something twenty years in? What's something you're like, man? How have we not gotten this done yet? Yeah, I, I think it. I think it's really around identity still. Right. You know, we've we've talked and talked and talked about, you know, how do we not only do a single sign on, but how do we integrate these systems together? No one wants 15 passwords. No one wants 15 different usernames. No one wants to, you know, try to figure out which agency am I supposed to talk to? Right. Uh, we want to be able to offer a singular door to, to really bring people together. And I think, we, you know, we're getting to the point now where we're strong enough and mature enough to be able to do that. Um, but it's been a struggle for many, many years. Yeah. 
That's great. Anything else? Anything I've missed that you're excited about nowadays? Um, uh, yeah, we're finishing up a procurement right now for a, a security information event management system. Um, that's a that's a big project for us, or or a, a strategic priority, specifically around having more visibility across our enterprise to make sure that you know through a single pane of glass we really have eyes on everything across the executive branch. And there's opportunity, I think, with the, the uh, CISA grants coming out, the IJA grants, to be able to uh, maybe roll in the municipalities in the K through 12 using some of that money. And, you know, we're waiting on uh, for more guidance from the feds, but, you know, our plan is to be able to expand that to municipalities to make sure that not only do they have um, visibility, but we have visibility as that whole of state to make sure that we're able to see what's going on at that municipality level, what's going on at the K through 12 level, and and really, you know, be able to not only brief the governor but brief the legislature and what the state of uh, um, security is in Vermont. Last thing, and because you, you brought up municipality collaboration, you know, it's some people would say a smaller state like Vermont, something like that, is easier. That's not always the, the case. I mean, I, I don't know the exact number of how many municipalities you have, but what's that collaboration look like? Uh, what is some of the work that you have to do to, to facilitate that and make that happen? Yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, a federated model where, you know, it's not easier because we're smaller in that aspect. Um, there's 251 municipalities, right? So, you know, looking across the, the, the wide spectrum, many of those municipalities have somewhere between one and five employees. Right. So when you think about not only, you know, collaborating, but offering services or offering cybersecurity training, um, most of those people that are working in the municipalities are doing multiple jobs um, and are, are strapped for time themselves and resources. So, you know, it, it's a challenge, but we have some really good uh, partners that are able to facilitate some of that that are kind of the I wouldn't call them the lobbyists, but the overseer of the municipalities called the Vermont Leagues of Cities and Towns, and they help us get the message out and collaborate with, at the local level. Vermont CIO John Quinn. You can read more about him and modernization at statescoop.com and in today's show notes. I'm Jake Williams, host of Statescoop's Priorities Podcast. Next week on the show, New Hampshire CIO Dennis Goulet on maximizing American Rescue Plan funding. You can subscribe to the podcast at prioritiespodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. State officials are still waiting for clarity on how incoming cyber grants promised as part of the infrastructure law passed last year will work. State and local governments will receive $1 billion over four years specifically for cybersecurity efforts. The federal government is expected to award the first $200 million before its fiscal year ends on September 30th. Matt Singleton, CISO of Oklahoma, tells State Scoops Colin Wood how he's already preparing, even without the guidance. Well, so we've been doing a lot of research trying to understand the guidance that's come out so far. There's still a fair amount of guidance that's expected in the coming months. Um, we've actually got a lot of programs that are already in flight that I think we can leverage to move uh, Oklahoma forward in terms of uh, the requirements for this grant program. Uh, things like the Oklahoma Information Sharing and Analysis Center, um, some of the other outreach functions that we've created, I think is gonna help us build out the appropriate uh, membership on the planning committee, um, obviously, we already have a, a security uh, strategic plan for the state. Uh, I think we can repurpose that um, for more of a whole of government approach. 
and get that in front of the committee and get it in front of CISA. And uh, I think we're going to be in a, in a pretty decent place when, when the final guidance comes out. You've got to take more of a proactive approach to it. Um, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Um, but we'll see when the, the guidance actually comes out. I think the initial idea was it was coming out earlier this summer. Uh, now it sounds like it might be a little bit later. Right. So in addition to that potential time crunch, what are the other challenges you foresee for getting that funding? Well, uh, and I think a lot of states are going to see this. Um, you know, everyone's excited about the, the funding that's coming in that's, that's earmarked specifically for cybersecurity. Uh, it's easy to overlook this, uh, overlook the state obligations that come with that uh, in terms of the matching funds. Um, and, and they do require new funds to be identified to do that match. Uh, so you're gonna have a few states that are gonna be working overtime to try to get through the legislative bodies to, to get appropriations set or, or find other sources of, of funding to, to cover that. Um, and then, you know, that is a pretty quick turnaround time. If, if you're looking at actually dispersing the funds from the grant uh, before the end of the fiscal year, uh, the federal fiscal year, um, you might be looking at less than 90 days to actually get through that entire process. Right, but that's doable? Uh, anything's doable. Uh, you show us what the requirements are, uh, we'll get creative and, and we'll figure out how to make it happen. Right, the bad actors would make it happen, right? Absolutely, they're teaming up. Uh, it's nice to see uh, the federal government stepping in and provide some incentives for us to actually team up uh, uh, across states and then especially with the localities and the tribal governments. Uh, let's all pull together and uh, you've heard cybersecurity is a team sport, right? I've heard that once or twice before, yeah. yes. Um, <laughs> okay, so more generally, uh, are you guys working on anything interesting, noteworthy? Um, we have a few things in flight. You know, Oklahoma went through a, a, a period of tremendous change uh, during the pandemic. The state leadership gave us the opportunity to really reinvest in what we were doing uh, around cybersecurity. We wound up replacing our entire technology stack in, in the span of about 18 months, completed 38 large scale uh, cybersecurity initiatives. Um, so we're going to spend a lot of time over the next 12 months really maturing. Uh, we went through and uh, acquired a lot of new tools and actually have been hiring a ton of new talent into Oklahoma Cyber Command. Uh, it's time to start uh, aligning both of those resources together so that we can have a really effective defense and actually offensive strategy for the state. Um, so we're going to focus on, on maturation. Uh, obviously, as we have opportunities that, that pop up, we're going to continue to increase the cybersecurity posture for the state. Um, but it's all, it's, it's the basics, right? Uh, basic blocking and tackling the, to uh, put the state in a much better uh, cybersecurity footing. Right. In terms of uh, recruiting people, do you have the same workforce challenges that a lot of other um, state IT leaders report? There's a couple of key roles that have been difficult to fill, um, but by and large, um, folks want to come work in cybersecurity. Uh, they see there's a lot of future uh, and opportunities for growth. And so, um, you know, those entry-level positions are, are actually fairly easy to fill in Oklahoma. It's the more senior uh, engineering type positions that we still struggle with a little bit. So we lean on our industry partners wherever we can to, to help fill those gaps uh, or even to help us generate some leads to, to fill those uh, positions internally. Matt Singleton, Chief Information Security Officer for the state of Oklahoma. You can read more about Singleton and cyber grant funding at statescoop.com and in today's show notes. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review and or a rating on the podcast page. That makes it more likely that more people like you will find the show. 
This podcast is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helped put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.